Before the sermon today, I want to introduce someone to you. I want to introduce to you a colleague, Pastor Gifford Long, and also a longtime friend of mine in this conference. He's here with us this morning. Please welcome him. We started a congregational visioning process with Kalina's Way uh, several months back. It'll be an ongoing project of ours in the church for at least three years, probably uh, three to five years. The first 18 months of that process are guided by Kalina's Way, and Gifford is our support mentor who comes and works with our crew of about 35 who've been uh, working already diligently and who have an all-afternoon meeting this afternoon after church is over. We thank him for his leadership and for the experience he brings to us and for the opportunity to lead us as we go forward together as a congregation. Because you see, that's what we are. We're a congregation and a community of faith that God has formed right here in this place for the work that needs to be done right here among us. Common biblical images of Pentecost and common biblical images throughout Scripture are wind and fire. What powerful things they bring to our mind. How often we see God revealed throughout the Scriptures in just those images. We see it in Moses. We see it as he, God appeared to him in a flaming bush. We see it in the people of Israel as God appeared to the congregation of his followers as they moved through the land, appearing before them as a pillar of fire, guiding them where they were going. We see it in the breath and power of the whisper of the Spirit, where caves were, prophets were called forth from caves, and where the Spirit whispered tenderly to the leaders of the land. Throughout the scriptures, we see the ministry of the Spirit among us. In the beginning, the ministry of the Spirit was among us, and it was targeted to the leaders of God's people, and it was targeted to the whole of God's people. And on the coming of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in a new and an exciting way as a person of God to individuals. It is a great transformation of the work of God on earth. Sometimes we stumble around and we wonder if there's any plan to it all. And the answer is... According to scripture, there most definitely is a plan. And the plan belongs to God. God has ordained how his church would move. And as funny as it sounded to the children, God ordained that the Holy Spirit would work through us, even in the hanging of banners. So far, she's not fallen off the lift once. <laughs> so far, when we need creative juices, more people from the congregation come and inspire and express their faith in many ways through the creative arts among us, including song. So far, God has manifested himself through the power of the Holy Spirit over and over again through us in healings, in guidance, in comfort and strength. But in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, we find three great movements that are mirrored throughout the book of Acts and quite frankly throughout the rest of the New Testament. These three keys to understand the work of the Holy Spirit among us is first of all that we get the fullness of the Spirit after Pentecost. We, we become to understand more closely who God is because God literally lives within us in the Spirit. We also understand from this chapter and from the following books written that the Holy Spirit comes to spread faith in Jesus Christ throughout the world. It's a gift of evangelism. It is a way things were meant to work. It is God's plan that the Spirit working through individuals as well as on the Spirit's own merits would move among people and woo them to God so that they be, could become followers of God. It is also the plan of God 
as revealed in the last part of the second chapter, that the people would form community, that they would form church, if you would, that they will come together in the power of the Spirit as it blesses not only the individuals, but the work of the groups as they come together in what we call church. They assemble together. They pray. People are baptized and saved. They comfort one another. They share things together. They care for one another at depths they would never do in ordinary circumstances. We know all of these things as this powerful individual movement comes among us. And yet, quite frankly, we don't have a Christmas crowd today, do we? We don't have an Easter crowd. Oh, it's just Pentecost Sunday. It's just everything. Wow, how the church can get it so wrong never ceases to amaze me. We're so frightened of the Holy Spirit that we pretend that that's not him who lives within us, but rather it's Jesus. And you say, now wait a minute, Doug, it's Jesus in my heart. No, it's not. Jesus is in heaven with the Father. He left, remember? And he said, it's good for me to go because I'm sending one who's coming and sent by the Father who will be with you always until I return, just like the choir sung. Until that day, it is the Holy Spirit who not only woos us, but sustains us. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us a sense of power. It's the Holy Spirit who encourages us. It is the Holy Spirit who comes alongside to comfort us when we're struggling. All of these things are recorded over and over again. Let's have some scripture for those of you who love the scripture, right? That's all of you, right? How about Acts 10? How about Acts 11? And how about twice in Acts 11 when we hear about the Holy Spirit as the source of guidance? Guiding Philip to the Ethiopian eunuch. Guiding Peter over and over again. Guiding Paul and Barnabas in their their separation and their missionary journeys. Acts 13, Acts 15, the council of Jerusalem. The Spirit descended upon them and helped them come to agreement. Acts 16 uh, tells us how the Spirit was with Paul throughout his work. Guidance is a big deal. When is the last time that you knew you were guided by the Holy Spirit? And you go, uh, uh. Uh, yesterday, I think, it was so easier if the Holy Spirit would just descend and give us all the gift of tongues every day and everybody could understand us, we would be more recognizing the Holy Spirit, correct? Not correct English, I know, my Sally, but still, that's what would happen. If we were aware of the powerful wind of God's presence, we would be different people Monday through Sunday, right? And yet the church struggles and you know why let's fess up right because it's so subjective is it not Pentecost is difficult because it's subjective to each person's experience and that's what we believe and that's what we hold to and that's what we proclaim and yet is that all there is to it or is there not more Is it not subjective, first of all, to the witness of the scriptures? Does the spirit come in contradiction with the scriptures? I say no. I say the way we really understand the spirit is by engaging the biblical record with the spirit's help so that we might be able to know who God is and understand how the spirit works. Otherwise... A subjective experience of the Spirit can be so crazy that no one would believe it. And I don't mean crazy in the good sense. I mean crazy, right? You know, you can't believe how many times 
Gifford has had somebody come into his office and say, though Gifford is now retired, the Spirit of God is upon me and he told me to give you a message. And I guarantee you, Gifford thought the same thing I thought. Uh Uh-oh. Because you never know. Sometimes those people have just escaped from somewhere we know not where. Yes, it is true that our illnesses emotionally sometimes take form in religious expression. It's also true that people, sinful creatures that we are, will lay off on the Holy Spirit what they really want to do that they know is contradictory to Scripture and the direction of the church. And then they claim, well, it's the Spirit told me to say this. I don't care what you said, Pastor, Sunday school teacher, Mama, Daddy. But that doesn't change the reality that the subjective experience is still real. It's still true. And when undergirded with a knowledge of Scripture, it becomes the power of God on earth. Now, this power is not just a source of guidance. It is also still blessing leadership. In Acts 6, we find where the seven were men of the Spirit. Stephen and Barnabas are described in chapter 7 and 11 as men of the Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is still calling forth leadership and still is today. I pray that the Holy Spirit is using leadership at General Conference. The leadership that has been laid upon generations of men and women as they have been ordained to follow God's call and to lead God's church. And in a representative way, they represent us this week as they decide the future boundaries, if you will, rules, if you will, for how the United Methodist Church should operate globally. The Holy Spirit, according to this book, is also the source of everyday courage and power. Acts 1.8, it happened then, it happens now. So often, we need the courage to say something to someone. We need the courage to walk into someone's life we don't really know and get to know them and the courage to spend time and energy with them until someday we ask for the courage to share with them the love we have for Jesus in our heart. Has made manifest the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. We need that courage. Because on our own, we don't have the courage to do what we have to do sometimes as individuals or as a congregation. I can't promise you many times people have come to my office and I've been praying while I was there with them saying, Lord, you know what I need to say, but I don't really want to say it. I don't really want to say it. Because sometimes it is the courage to speak the word that is a prophetic word to somebody you're listening to. It's not always heard well, is it? Even when you give your children prophetic words, do they enjoy it? Thus saith the Lord through mother and daddy. If you do that again, there will be serious consequences. You know, we don't enjoy that. Who enjoys threatening their children? And if you're a parent here and you've never threatened your child, raise your hand. And if you raise your hand, I want to see you after church. (laughs) Yes, we do use threats. We do use threats. And yes, there's a prophetic word that's hard to hear for us too as adults. And the last thing that is mentioned by William Barclay in his commentary on this subject, he says that the Spirit's access is in part conditioned by the kind of person one is. Acts 5 and 32. Obedience is a key to living a life in the Spirit. A lot of people want to claim life in the Spirit. A lot of people want to claim the power of the Spirit. But in this not all comprehensive list, 
They want the life of the Spirit as a gift. And they want the life of the Spirit without being obedient to the one who sent the Spirit. Scripture is clear about that. There's a relationship to our obedience and the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These people had been told to go and wait for the coming of the Spirit. That's what they were doing. And look what happened. But if the truth is known, many of us are kind of, would be kind of afraid to go somewhere and lock ourselves up with another small band and wait for the Spirit to come, wouldn't we? Would you not be a little bit intimidated by a subjective experience of a supernatural power that you don't fully understand? Yes, I think you probably would. I think you'd probably be bothered by it. And we're all bothered by the fact that sometimes there seems to be a lacking of the power of the Holy Spirit in worship across our land. And lives that are being lived across our land in the name of Jesus. And in general, in the life of the church collective. Wind, signs of new birth and generation and fire. Signs of the powerful presence of God. They are among us on this day. Now... When these tongues settled individually and the Spirit was given individually to all those who followed Jesus, there was a massive shift in the way the church could function. There was a massive door that was opened to the world and we had hundreds and then thousands and now millions of people who get to walk through it each and every day empowered by the Spirit and not having to be with a group of 120, not having to be with a pastor, not having to be with a Sunday school teacher, but who on their own have the opportunity to witness to the love of God they have known in Jesus Christ, which is empowered by the Holy Spirit to every believer. Every believer. Now, that gift was left behind in the 11, and look what it has become. But just the 11 didn't cause it, but they started it. How do churches get the idea that they're weak and can't get anything accomplished when they usually are consistent of at least 50 and up to 5,000 and even 30,000. And we think, well, the church just can't seem to get it done. Really? How many more armies do we need? You know how many believers there are around the world? Who knows that? Some child's been looking it up on Google. Google it, somebody. Somebody's got a phone. How many Christian believers are there in the world? Okay, I know you've got a phone. Google it. Look at that. <laughs> how many Christian believers are there in the world who are all empowered to give witness to Jesus Christ? I want you to get a sense of today what God's plan is and how God intends to carry it out. Do we have it? <coughs> Not yet? 2.2 How many? 2.2 Just 2.2 billion witnesses are left from the original 11. <laughs> oh, we can't do anything. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough power. We don't have enough leaders. We don't have this. We don't have that old baloney. We've got more access to God than ever. We've got more people who know the power of the Spirit. We have more opportunity than all those going to hell around us. We have plenty of everything except one thing. Obedience to the Spirit calling us to do what the Spirit is calling us to do. That is a frightening part of this subjective experience. I want to remind you what you got when you got the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody here who doesn't have the Holy Spirit? If you have the Holy Spirit, raise your hand. Let's just do a check. If, you have, if the Holy Spirit lives within you. Now, if you don't raise your hand, it means you don't have Jesus either. You can't have one without the other. So if you have, I see most hands raised. You got the picture, right? 
I'm talking to all of you, right? I'm talking to all of you here today. If not, we'll, take, we'll talk to you after the service. So if you have the Holy Spirit, here's what the gift looks like. First of all, you have been drawn by that person of the Holy Spirit to God. You would never have made the choice on your own. Otherwise, faith would be coming by works. But the Holy Spirit is the one who drew you to Jesus. Second of all, you've been convicted of your sin because of the Holy Spirit. He convicts us of sin and unrighteousness and causes us to follow God. Third of all, we, you know that you're going to heaven and not everybody does. And not everybody that's claimed is going to heaven at funerals is actually going. But if you have the assurance in your heart because the Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you indeed are a child of God and have been adopted, as it talks about in Romans, by the Spirit, then you are a son of God, a daughter of God. You are, you are assured. What can happen to us now? Nothing. You say, well, we could die. Well, you're going to die anyway. You're going to die. Y'all got that, right? You're going to die. So if you're assured that where you're going when you die, is that not a better deal? What is the big deal? deal? You lose a few years? How many years do you expect? How many of you know you're going to be here tomorrow? Yeah, you're right about that. None of us know. A friend of mine went to bed just last week in Salina, Texas, and he didn't get up the next morning. Actually, he did. But that body, it didn't. He got up in heaven during the night. What a deal. What a deal. What's there to fear? We all know we're going to die anyway. So why not head with intention toward where we're going? But that's not all. You also get the gift of character development. When you get the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. You also get gifts for ministry so you can change the world. They're in 1 Corinthians. Look them up. They're in Ephesians. Look them up. They're in Romans. Look them up. Everybody has a gift who has the Spirit. And it's all for the body of Christ, not for us. We also get the opportunity to go on toward holiness and Christian perfection. We get to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. The Bible comes alive when we read it. Sin is revealed as we continue to allow the power of the Holy Spirit to burn up the sin in our lives. Not only is it turned up in our lives, but we turn away from it by the power of the same Holy Spirit. We get to experience a growth in grace and love as we become more and more like Jesus and less and less like this world. We have opportunity to gain knowledge to the Scriptures as the Spirit teaches us. And because of that knowledge, we become more and more obedient until our thoughts are the thoughts of God and vice versa. Scary, right? Our relationship deepens. Last night, I had the vows for a good friend and his wife. We talked about love. We talked about the relationship growing. We talked about how powerful love is when two people share it. Jesus loved us, and now we get to love Jesus by submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And that's where I'm going to end. You said, well, you had 13 or 14 sermons in there. I know. <laughs> but I get to preach them on other Sundays. Today, I want to answer the question of why is there so little of the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today? I'm going to go back to that idea that it's because it's so subjective. And because it's so subjective, we are a little bit afraid of letting God in 
and giving God control of our minds and our hearts. We're afraid of it. We're afraid that God will call us to do something we're not ready for. We're afraid that we'll be so weird that we'll lose some friends, probably friends we don't need anyway. We're so afraid that God will use us up so much that that'll become more important than our 501K. How can we get the Holy Spirit more in control? First of all, we have to recognize that the Spirit is real and He's calling us all. Secondly, we have to be willing to submit or the Holy Spirit is not going to bother with you. And finally, we have to have a willingness to follow and obey the Holy Spirit. You say, what do you mean, preacher, when you say we've got to be willing to submit? Who doesn't understand submit? He might not understand what submit means, give up, give over, let go. We, we think that we can, 2.2 billion of us, that we can have the Holy Spirit on our conditions without submitting ourselves to that Holy Spirit. You know, a few times my children came to me as they were growing up, before they're all grown like they are now, dear. Children would come and they would want me to say yes to something they knew I was not going to say yes to. They wanted me to submit to their will and not to what I knew was best for them. What I wanted, I wanted them to submit to my will before they got in more trouble than they could get out of it any given six weeks. That's called punishment, right? That's what I wanted. And so there was a meeting of the minds, and they had to decide, each and both of them, as they grew up, when they were going to submit to what they'd been taught by their mother and their father, what they'd learned in the church, or whether they were going to submit to what their flesh wanted to do. I'm glad to say that my two daughters were perfect. <laughs> but on the outside chance that yours weren't, here's what happens when they don't submit, right? They lose car keys, they lose phone privileges, they lose the opportunity to date, they lose... Uh, privileges of who they can play with and what they can do. Things happen they don't enjoy because we're trying to teach them what? We're trying to teach them that we know best. Isn't that what God's trying to teach us to? If only we will submit ourselves and be willing to, to listen to God, God will speak to us. But it's not a deal where you can go and make a demand. No. Here I am, God. I demand... Tell me the answer to this question. And God's looking down at our heart and goes, Why? You're not going to listen to what I say. I've got other people who will. You say, Preacher, you're getting tacky. Only about most of the 2.2 billion. We want the goodies. And if you're an American Christian, we really are used to the goodies, aren't we? The goodies come and become really good when we're obedient. That's all I'm saying. As individuals and as a congregation, God will change your life and he will work on you until you die. You don't get to retire from becoming more and more like Jesus. You just have to keep working at it. And God will keep giving it to you as your faithfulness is expressed in your desire to obey him is revealed. Oh, that we could just Agree to agree that we can trust our lives in God's hands and then actually do it. What a world that would be. 
Father, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit. And we thank you that even when we're trying to obey, that you're helping us even then try to do it, Lord. Help us to realize that if we can just surrender to you, that if you can just see in us willing hearts and willing minds, that there is no end of what the Spirit can do in us and through us as individuals and as the body of Christ, the church. For that, we give you thanks and praise this day. And we lean into your presence as we celebrate the gift of yourself that you shared. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know such a Jesus, I would love to introduce you to him as we stand and sing. If you're here and you know Jesus, but you don't have a church home, there's room in this family for you. Let us stand and join together in singing our closing songs.